This is Fundraising Radio, episode number 19, and today, as a guest speaker, we have Sophie Alcorn, which is not our regular speaker, because today we're going to cover mostly not fundraising questions, but questions for people who are planning to move to the U.S. or currently live in the U.S. with a permanent visa. So if you're a U.S. citizen, probably this episode is not for you, even though it definitely consists a lot of helpful information regarding fundraising. So, Sophie, let's get started by you giving us some background on yourself and on the firm that you have founded, Alcorn Immigration Law. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Constantine. It's really exciting to be here on fundraising radio and with Open Land and um, getting to interact with this amazing community of, of people and startups. So, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a US immigration attorney. I founded Alcorn Immigration Law about five years ago. I've been practicing for 11 years, and I'm actually the daughter of a U.S. immigration lawyer as well. So this goes way back for me. I'm based in Mountain View, which is in Silicon Valley in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I love working with entrepreneurs and technology professionals inventors, uh, people, investors, people from all over the world who are interested in coming to the United States or opening part of their companies in the United States and growing here and seeking investment and also access to the U.S. Um, market. So we've grown really fast. Uh, we help people get visas and green cards to come into the United States and, you know, we, there's a few main types of categories of people who we support. We help early stage technology founders from around the world who want to move to the United States for the first time and begin to start their companies here. We help startups and technology companies from other countries that want to expand into the U.S. market. And so maybe the founder wants to come here or maybe another high up person in the company is coming to run us operations and when companies grow we also help them to hire the right talent and retain them and make sure that all of the employees have the right visas and work statuses and so you know there's a lot of tools that we use visas green cards they could be based on professional accomplishments, extraordinary ability, investment, family members. So, you know, we use creative uh, legal immigration strategies to give everybody the best foot forward so that they can reach their dreams and grow their companies in the United States. Got it. Got it. Sounds wonderful. So um, most of our listeners are founders, not investors. So uh, let's start off by uh, talking a little bit about what are the most common ways for founders to come to the U.S. and actually stay here. Yeah. So looking at U.S. immigration, just high level overview, if you want to come here temporarily for a short period of time, then that is called a non-immigrant visa or non-immigrant status. And you can usually come for a certain number of years to work at a specific company. And if you want to stay here for a lifetime and get permanent residence, that's what we call a green card. And you could get a visa first and then get a green card later. Or if you just know that you want to have a green card and you're okay with waiting a couple of years for the process and uh, 
you know, maybe you have kids in school, so you don't want to uproot them until your family just all has green cards. That's something that you could do from outside of the United States. So you don't have to have a visa to get a green card. So most of the founders we help are typically looking at visas first, but some of them get green cards. The green cards are a little nicer because you don't have to have a company sponsoring you. So there's two ways you could get a green card for yourself. One is by showing that you're a person of extraordinary ability, which means that you're at the top of your field of business or science or engineering um, in your home country or in any country. Um, you don't have to have a Nobel Prize to qualify. And that typically comes from showing that like you're a serial entrepreneur. There's been newspaper articles written about you. You judge startup pitch competitions. Maybe you're a thought leader. So you've written a lot in your field and your articles have gotten a lot of views. Um, perhaps you've raised capital from a VC. We could consider that to be an award. So there's lots of different ways to do it. You need three out of the 10 categories. But if you don't qualify for that, there's another way to do it, which is saying that um, your work in the U.S. will be in the national interest. And that's a lot more free form. So, so those are the green card long-term options. And then short-term, there's a variety of visas that startup founders could qualify for. Um, most of them require that there is an employment type of relationship with the company. So you might need an independent board of directors to oversee your work, offer you the job, and they would also need to have the power to potentially fire you at some point. So you got to be aware of that. But um, basically, the most common types are H-1B, O-1A, E-2, um, J-1. So depending on what type of company it is, how much money you have, what your role is, um, there's there's several different options. Another one is the L1. So I can go into that more if you'd like. Yeah, sure. Actually, I would love to listen more about uh, O1A visa, as you said, uh, because yeah. I got recently several uh, requests to cover specifically this topic. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, that's a super popular visa because there is no limit to the number of people each year who can get it. And so there's no lottery and you can get it any time of year. And it's simply based on your accomplishments. So let's imagine that, let's just say, um, well, what do you think is more common that somebody is already having a company in another country and wants to come here to work on that existing company or that they already have a company or excuse me, that they're starting their brand new company for the first time. Let's imagine that they're starting a brand new company for the first time. Okay, cool. So then, you know, you'd probably do a lot of the same initial steps that I'm sure you guys talk a lot about here on fundraising radio, like starting a Delaware C corporation, and talking to investors. Um, the person might initially want to come here as a visitor. So getting a B1, B2 visitor visa to come for up to six months at a time. Or if they're from a qualifying country, 
they could maybe qualify for ESTA, which is a 90-day visa waiver program. So there's a lot of ways to come here to set up your business initially. You don't get to be employed at the company, so you can't make money here. Um, you can't be doing like the daily tasks of the business. But if you just want to come as a visitor and attend some startup school or a conference or pitch to investors, you could totally just do that on a, on a B1 business visa. Um, and then once you have your Delaware C Corporation set up, and just by the way, for immigration, it could really be any type of legal entity in the United States, any type of company. It does not have to be a Delaware C Corporation. It's just that that's what most investors are looking for in Silicon Valley. So that works as well. So you get your company set up, you register it with the different, you know, states. Um, you, you would, if you're coming to California, you would work with your corporate attorney to get it registered in California. You would request a federal employer identification number from, um, from the U.S. government. So you guys have a tax ID number for your company. You would open a bank account. And then um, you would put some money into your bank account. And this money could be your personal investment into the company. It could be what an angel investor or a VC is putting in. It doesn't really matter. But if you're going to be applying for a visa as an employee of the company and you guys are pre-revenue and you haven't gone to market yet and um, there aren't any sales, then you need to show some runway in the bank account because you're going to have to prove to the um, U.S. government, specifically U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, that this company has the ability to pay you. Now, additionally, just when we're in the preliminary phases and setting everything up, um, the O-1 is a visa for either employment or with an agent. And, you know, I've talked to thousands of startup founders. I don't know of any agents who work, you know, in this field, maybe in Hollywood, but that's sort of a different thing. So for this type of work, um, you're going to be looking at being an employee of the company and, that's where the board of directors comes in. It's good to have somebody else um, in charge so that they can actually make you an employment offer. And as we said, so that you have that employer-employee relationship with the company that we discussed before, because that's a requirement. Okay. So you... You want to make sure that you have the Delaware C Corporation set up. If you're going to do business in California, get it registered in California with your corporate attorney. Make sure you have a bank account open that has adequate funding so that the company has the ability to pay your salary if you're pre-revenue. Make sure there's an independent board of directors that has the ability to hire you and oversee your work and potentially fire you. And so once you have all of those things in place, um, then you can start working with an immigration lawyer to actually prepare the O-1 application. And so this process has three phases. 
The first phase is really document gathering, strategy sessions, preparation, uh, working on getting letters of recommendation from people in your field. Usually, you know, depending on the person and their qualifications, we would recommend four to seven letters of recommendation. So this process for an applicant who is already qualified could reasonably take three months. Um, if somebody is not prepared, it could take longer. If um, somebody really has urgency, it could potentially go faster if they're already qualified. But so phase one is, is preparation and it's about three months. Um, phase two is actually when your petition, it's called a petition, not an application, when the petition is being reviewed and assessed by the government, USCIS. And if you request something called premium processing, then the government has two days, excuse me, not two days, 15 days to make an initial, yeah, I wish it was two days, 15 days to make an initial uh, decision in your case. And, you know, hopefully that will just be an approval. It could also be something called a request for evidence where they say, all right, you know, thanks for sharing everything. We would like to see more information about XYZ topics to make sure that you're approved, approvable. And then um, they would give you 60 days to respond to the request for evidence. And then as soon as you respond, if it's on day 60 or day 33, it doesn't matter, that starts the timer ticking for the government where they have 15 more days to make their decision from there. And so if you're in another country uh, and the O-1 petition gets approved, then your next step would be to schedule a visa interview at a U.S. consulate um, somewhere in the world. Uh, I understand we have a lot of um, listeners who might be in Russia. And what I've been hearing is that a lot of um, Russian citizens are ending up making visa appointments at U.S. consulates in various Eastern European countries for their visa interview. So you would go to the interview. There'd be a quick interview. They just want to make sure that you are who you say you are. There wasn't any fraud. You know what job you're actually going to be doing. And then once you get approved, they'll hold on to your passport for a couple of days so that they can actually put the um, visa stamp in your passport. And then um, once you have that visa, you can enter the United States on an O-1. And then when you're here, um, they will let you stay for up to three years initially. And um, then you can renew your O-1 status in one year chunks after that. So a lot of people try to go for the green card within the first three years so they don't have to deal with um, too many one-year renewals of their O-1 status. So the process could reasonably take, call it four to six months, maybe like six months for a qualified, um, qualified applicant. And once you're in the U.S., then you have to put yourself on payroll and you have to start doing the job that you said you would be doing in the, um, in the application process. So that's like how it works. And then who qualifies and how you get it, that is really 
very similar to the EB1A green card criteria that I mentioned earlier, which is also for extraordinary ability. Um, the difference is instead of eight, excuse me, instead of 10, there are eight possible criteria that you can look at and you need three of them. And so once again, it's like, have you won any awards or prizes for excellence that could be um, like winning um, the startup competition at TechCrunch Disrupt or getting a VC to invest in you? Um, it shouldn't be a prize from when you were a student. That does not count. Um, another possible <laughs> criteria is have you been a member in any associations that are hard to get into? So are you in any exclusive clubs for founders? Are you an advisor in any startup schools or incubators or accelerators, any government organizations that you're a part of, anything like that that's high profile? Uh, another one is um, have people written articles about your success and your company's success and about your accomplishments? It's much better if they actually mention your name. Um, another factor is, you know, what, what does your business actually do? Why, why is it unique? Um, have you invented something? Do you have some important new process or product that you've made available that's going to help people? Uh, another one is, have you written articles? Are you a thought leader? Um, and how many readers do those have? Uh, the, uh, sixth is, have you gotten a high salary for your work? This could be as a employee in a prior company. It could be as an, from an exit from a prior startup that you worked on. It could be a valuation based on a, on a funding round that you've closed. So all of that is possible. Another one is, have you been the judge of the work of others? So that's where the startup pitch competitions come in. Other competitions could work as well, potentially like code, I don't know, hackathons, coding competitions. And then um, finally, have you had a job that's been critical or essential to a company with a distinguished reputation. So, you know, if you were the CEO of a prior company that exited, we would use that. So that's the O1A. It's a lot of information. Yeah, that's, that's tons of information to be quite honest with. Like seven minutes of you straight talking about what it is about. So <laughs> what I can sum it up like is uh, if you, you have to be really, really special to get this thing. If you're not, you, you should, don't even try. Stop it. Well, <laughs> but, uh, actually, one of the but but don't got... but don't give up, right? Because there are plenty <laughs> of people who like work on this stuff in parallel with creating their startup. Because it's just a checklist right. of other things that you need to accomplish along the way, and sometimes they naturally happen. But you can also prepare specifically, like if you know that you want to do this in two years, you could potentially do everything you needed to do you know comfortably in that time if you're motivated right yeah that's true you can do it in like one day uh, if it was natural i guess so uh, one of the questions that i've got during your presentation was uh you mentioned that you have to have some uh, amount of money on your bank account uh oh yeah yeah, yeah. give that's me a like question. a range yeah. so i mean it's not it's not like 10 million dollars or anything um basically 
you have to put your own salary down on the O-1 petition. And if you're the first employee, um, you don't have a lot of other overhead, but you need to think of some, you know, barely reasonable minimum salary that a person of your caliber could get. So like 60K, 75K, $100,000, something like that. And then there's no actual um, law about this, but in my experience, it's good to have like 2x as a as a minimum it's good to have like 2x your annual salary in the bank account before applying so if you're going to make 75k a year it'd be great if the business had at least 150k in the bank account got it, got it. that's i've expected it to be like around million so that's good news for people good uh, okay great so we'll actually move a little bit towards the actual topic of fundraising radio which is fundraising okay. and uh, i have question for you so i know for sure that you're really well connected in silicon valley and yeah. since you're mostly focused on startups and investors uh immigrating to us have you ever um like given introductions to people if you yeah. for example get an application from a startup that you really like you're like damn it i want to be a part of it have you ever like invested or given uh, service credits for the startup or anything that rem could remind of um, actually investing have you ever done that um let's put it this way i you know bootstrapped my law firm out of my kitchen four and a half years ago being a single mother to two young children so <laughs> i'm not personally an angel investor yet although i do plan to be but i make a lot of introductions for startups that i believe in to different vcs in my network so you know i'm i'm happy to take a look and um and consider that and see if i can support people you know a lot of people helped me to start my business and i'm happy to pay it forward that sounds really really positive here is like the american th thinking right here um so yeah actually another thing that i wanted to ask you is um have you ever gotten like pitches because one of my um ex presenters here on fundraising radio was t saying that one of the first steps to fundraising could be going to lawyers and pitch to them so you can get service credits as i mentioned earlier have you ever gotten such pitch or pitches or um yeah so that is a question i get from time to time most of the law firms who do provide service credits are corporate law firms they will help you incorporate and create your company for free and the way their model works is you don't pay initially they give you credits but then later when you close a funding round or you know like a series a then they would um, deduct their legal fees that they have accrued at that time so it can be great um it can be great initially because then you know you're getting like really high quality um services from a big name and they're also well connected to investors so they can help you move forward um, there's also a lot of great like smaller um boutique attorneys who you know might be able to give you more personalized service but do charge by the hour but it's a lot more um a lot more reasonably priced fees potentially than like a big big name law firm or a lot of founders incorporate online um 
every time I talk to a corporate lawyer, they tell me all the reasons why that's a bad idea. And, you know, basically it can be expensive to fix later on, but I also know a lot of people who've done it. And if you're just trying to get something quick and dirty up and running and you're okay later with paying to fix it, if you've gotten really successful, you know, that's a judgment call that, that you can make. Guys, so you mentioned that the fees of those small boutique attorneys are more reasonable than the big corporate laws, law firms. Can you give me like a range of the fees? Yeah. So like for corporate law, my understanding, because um, I'm in the immigration world, but for corporate law, I know that some partners at big law firms make over a thousand dollars an hour. Um, whereas like a boutique attorney in a smaller firm who, who maybe used to work at one of those firms, um, might charge something in the 400 to $600 an hour range. And often, often, um, startup attorneys do like a flat fee incorporation package. Um, so that's another that option too. I think it's like maybe in the two to three thousand dollar range oh my god that's that's crazy <laughs> some people well, here should be a little bit shocked because uh, russian prices are way different than american prices so okay people this is normal it is not something extremely extraordinary here <laughs> so just get used to this if you're planning to move to the u.s yeah um, yeah, it's expensive here. So do you really think it makes sense to use a lawyer at such an early stage? Don't you think it's like easier to I use think it the depends. basically? Yeah, it depends on where you're at. I mean, if, if, if you need to just find investors in the U.S. to help you start your company, then I would say the fastest way to get started is, you know, uh, maybe just come here as a business visitor for like six months and plan to stay in like an Airbnb hacker home type place and um, go to a bunch of meetups in San Francisco. You could go to like three a day or more. Um, there's, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's so much available and just like network with people, talk to people, then, and get some feedback. You know, you could then um, incorporate a company online and start your bank account and, uh, and then like, you know, enter pitch competitions and seek investments. So th that would all be permissible in B1 status. It's all about um, networking and negotiations. So so that's allowed, um, but I don't. I, I, I think if the first big thing is just to get in contact with investors and start talking to them, forming relationships, and getting their feedback. And then, yeah, at a certain stage, you're going to need your company. You're going to need a bank account to actually receive their money. They're going to want to make sure that you set things up okay. Um, but. You know, it just depends on how committed you are and how confident you are. And doing some information gathering first could totally make sense. Right. Yeah, that sounds very reasonable. So I think we'll wrap it up here. I have uh, just one. Oh, never mind. We got a question from an audience, um, okay. which is uh, what do you think about networking in real life versus online? Is there any mind shift happening in Silicon Valley around this topic right now? 
Yeah, there's some startups here that are doing, um, you know, creating spaces kind of like open land, right, for for online community building and online networking. I'm a big personal believer in networking. It's how I've built my whole law firm and the brand and um, like my TechCrunch column that I write. So for me, it's all about um, FaceTime in real life, forming relationships, seeing people showing up in the same places, being a part of the community. Um, I'm sure there's potential for that online as well. I'm not as familiar with it. I just know that um, for me, you know, just, just, and maybe this is what you mean by the American attitude. I'm not sure, but I did, I did live in Moscow actually in college and Yagavaru Chuchu Paruski. Oh my so, God. So <laughs> <laughs> I spent okay. six months in law school so in, 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 on, at Stanford in Moscow. And um, so maybe it's like, do like doing that American thing where you're like bright eyed and open and optimistic and you talk to people and they can see the enthusiasm in your voice and you ask for help and they want to believe in you and support you like that style of networking um, definitely works. I can say that from my own experience. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty old school on this question as well, but I think that really answers the question. So I have uh, one Actually, two last questions, and then okay. we'll wrap it up. So okay. the first question would be, what would be your advice to a person who is listening to us right now, sitting in Russia or Ukraine, thinking like, damn it, I do not have money to move to the US. What, what should I do about it? Yeah, well, you don't have to go to the US right away. You know, there might be um, a middle ground country that might be a good stepping stone. There's a lot of countries, like... I don't know. I'm a U.S. immigration lawyer and you'd think that I should just say everybody in the world should come here, but it's really not right for everybody. And there's actually better opportunities in other countries that actually care about developing their economies and supporting startup founders. So like Canada has a great program. New Zealand has a great program. I think they'll actually give you a bunch of money to start your companies. So you know, look at the whole world. Don't give up. Be creative. Um, you don't necessarily have to have your next stop be a big venture capital firm in Silicon Valley. It might just be important to get some early traction in a in a place where, you know, you're comfortable and you have the ability to just be imaginative and be that visionary for your company and to test things out and to get some data. So, so just be open to everything that could eventually move you in the direction that you want to go, go to. Got it. That's the positive American attitude right here. <laughs> All right. And the last thing that I really wanted to say is that Sophie is actually starting her own podcast pretty soon called yeah. Immigration Law for Tech Startups. Uh, I know that it's not live yet. So when should you... Um, I'm expecting the first episode to come out within the next week or so. And so I will be sharing that information with you, Constantine. And I'd love it if, uh, if anybody can subscribe. Got it. Sounds good. Once it's live, I will definitely announce it. And also, Sophie was kind enough to share her articles with us from 
which are actually behind the paid wall. So if you don't want to pay to read them, come on to the Open Land Fundraising Radio Chat and you can check them out. All right. Yeah. Thanks and and we have uh, and oh, you're welcome. And just to say briefly about that, there's a chart. Yeah, sure, sure. There's a chart that has all of the main visa and green card immigration pathways that are you know most used in Silicon Valley. Um, there's an article that's about six pages long about what everybody at a startup needs to know about immigration. So there's a lot of really good information in there that I've spent a lot of, of time putting together and that's based on my experience. So please check that out. It has a lot more details. Right. Totally. There is tons of information there. So feel free to check it out. And Sophie, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot for coming. Thanks for sharing with us your knowledge, your experience. And You're have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You're so welcome, Constantine. And thank you to everybody for listening. And thank you for your questions as well. I wish you all the best. Thanks.